Welcome to the Women in Wales' first Poetry in a Climate of Change podcast. I am Jordan Imani Keith, Seattle Civic Poet, 2019 to 2022. This series highlights the shared experiences of women who recognize the intersectional risks and benefits we share with the whales of the Salish Sea. Today, our guest is one of the participants in the writing workshop cohort, Savannah Smith. Savannah grew up in Renton, Washington, in an animal-loving home. Her early exposure to a variety of different creatures taught her that every animal, no matter the size or species, has its own unique characteristics and soul. Savannah is passionate about fostering positive experiences outdoors for BIPOC, especially in marine environments, and is a co-founder of Sea Potential. You can find out more about that organization at letsseepotential.com. And I'm really excited to have a conversation with you. Welcome, Savannah. Thank you, Jordan. (laughs) I'm excited to talk today, too. I know. It's crazy that it's been since December when we first started the writing workshop cohort and then kind of have, as a group, gone on to uh, keep connecting every other week and doing these things. But it's the first time seeing you in 3D, and I'm saying that for the audience as well as for us. Like, this is, you know, we're still through all these glass panes, but it's been a time to be writing during a pandemic and being together. Right. It's been really interesting because it's been pretty intimate, but so distant at the same time since it's been through video. And I think it, we were only supposed to be doing it for like four weeks mm-hmm. at first, right? And it's right. it's just continued on for months now, which has been great. Yes. <laughs> it is what I hoped for quietly. It wasn't in the um, call, but when I sent out the call through the Office of Arts and Culture for for this this is my civic poet project. I was I really wanted to bring together a group of people who identify as women and who are people of color to write. But I had no idea who would respond. I was thrilled that you responded. I don't know if you know this, but your name had been mentioned to me hmm. before your application came in, in a different context. Oh. So there was kind of like a constellation of, I was like, wait, this sounds familiar. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I never told you <laughs> Yeah, that. I did not know that. <laughs> That's so funny. Mm-hmm. So I want to know, when you saw the call, and that call is specific to people who I wouldn't have to convince that they might be endangered species and and that they could hear the connection to other, let's say, life forms. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know who would answer. What made you respond to the call? What was that like for you? So Ebony and I, we heard about it at the same time. And this was around the time that we were just starting. I can't remember the exact date, but I think we didn't have our business license yet for our organization, but we were working on it and we were just developing the idea of our organization. And this call for poetry really resonated with the work we want to do as a business of seeing the connections between BIPOC and environmental spaces and especially marine environments. So we both thought it would be a great opportunity to just take in some more perspective of other people and like form 
a sense of community with others who who think similarly and mm. feel similarly about this topic. But I was not considering myself a writer or anything beforehand, so I was nervous to apply. And Ebony doesn't consider herself a writer either. We were like, okay, how about we just both apply and maybe one of us will get in and this will be great to like just learn more and connect with others in the space. And then we both got in and we were super excited. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to ask you about marine environments in particular. And the reason I'm asking is because, as you know, and maybe other people know, that I started Urban Wilderness Project back in 2003. And my focus was very much forested land and maybe a little bit intertidal zone interest because of personal experiences I had. And it was a while before the project began to include more about water and making a connection through our blue core and, you know, the life of whales, et cetera. But you are launching right from that spot, and, and uh, pun intended. <laughs> and, and, and I want to know why, like why the marine environment versus the forest environment versus uh, riparian areas. What what happened? What happened to you? How did you get engaged with this? Yeah, um, I think it stems from having so many of those non-human family members <laughs> growing up, um, but they were all like land-based animals mainly, besides a couple like hermit crabs or fish. But um, I felt like I had such a wide exposure to different land animals that once I, in second grade, started checking out books about the ocean, I was just so fascinated to see the diversity of creatures that lived in the ocean and was like, wow, like there's so many different creatures here that I've just never seen, never had in our homes. Um, And I just wanted to learn more. And I've always been a really curious kid. And so I felt like there was endless questions I could ask about the ocean and just um, dream about, think about. Also, I just always felt connected to water in general. I am a Pisces, so I think that plays into it. Mm. Um, But I remember like all of my birthday parties growing up when I was young were at the pool and I wasn't a great swimmer. I didn't even dunk my head underwater. I would, I just had like these little hairs on my neck. I call them my water hairs and those were the only hairs I would let get wet. But for some reason, I always wanted my birthday to be at the pool. (laughs) (laughs) So there's just been this instant connection and peace that came along with being in the water and just learning about the creatures of the ocean. I love it. I heard of, um, I think it was a podcast, it was a radio show yesterday, and they were talking about curiosity. And so when you when you said that word, it really piqued my interest because investigation and a lot of what we now regard and take as the sciences, especially taxonomy and everything, is based on curiosity and mm-hmm. investigation and notes, and somehow that's been lost, you know, right. that um, in, in many ways, that's the science of observation. I want to know if, you know, any creature in the ocean, because it is a place that seems only accessible through video, mm-hmm. and a lot, I mean, I don't, I don't scuba dive, I I know about Sylvia Earle, and, but um, since childhood has come and, and gone and you're in this new phase of life, have you considered snorkeling or scuba diving? Or what do you want to, how do you want to introduce young people to the marine environment? Why, why is that important for you? 
Yeah. Well, for the scuba diving thing, I was able to do a program called Girl Diver when I was in eighth grade and um, got to scuba dive a little bit through that. But in my personal life, I had nobody around me who scuba dive. So just after that program, that was it for me. Um, but I would like to get certified and start diving, especially as now I'm getting to know people who actually do dive. And Ebony is a diver, so definitely would love to do that with her. Um, we have dreams of eventually starting a summer camp where we could get youth diver certified and like kayak around the San Juan Islands and dive together and camp together and just do a bunch of our different activities with them in that program as well. So definitely need to get certified to do that someday. Wow. Yeah. The San Juans, have you spent time kayaking in the San Juans? Have you seen any of the marine life that you're drawn to without being underwater? Yeah. um, The San Juan Islands, when I was in, I think I was going into... I was either going into the 10th or 11th grade, but I was part of a program called Summer Search Seattle through my high school Mm -hmm. um, that was basically helping some low-income students get ready for college. But one of the things they did was send you on a trip to kind of get you outside of your comfort zone and build leadership skills in the summertime for your first year in the program. And so I went on an Outward Bound trip, and half of the trip was 11 days of kayaking around the San Juan Islands. And so... It was really beautiful, but it was very hard for me. I was the slowest kayaker, and my eyes got sunburned, and I was just in the back crying some days after having to kayak so long. But we had a really magical moment one day where we had to change our route because the current was pretty strong, so we were we were going to ferry across the water. But where we were um, when we were changing the course, it was this— kind of really small like rocker island but a bunch of seal pups were there harbor seal pups and so they they were just diving in the water and swimming under our kayaks and the moms were around and it was just really cool I've, I've never been that up close to seals at that point or ever since um and seeing the pups was just the cutest thing ever and so that's a memory that that always sticks with me absolutely I wonder if you have had moments where you have learned more about the health as well as the threats to the health of of the marine mammals in Salish Sea or other species. And if you've looked and seen similarities in your life or the life of your family or your community that, I guess, in the spirit of science as observation that piqued your curiosity to like what wait what's going on with this this habitat and things I think just in general there's like an instant connection because with the effects of climate change the creatures of the ocean can take it pretty intensely like just one degree temperature change is a big deal in that ecosystem and knowing that for BIPOC communities we're often disproportionately negatively impacted by the effects of climate change as well, I think there's really something to say there about who needs to be heard and considered during these different conversations and decisions being made in these spaces. And so these animals don't have a voice, but in a lot of ways, it's like our communities don't have a voice when we're purposely left out or we aren't having the connection to these spaces that are 
inspiring us to to pursue these conversations, I guess, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I think part of the reason we started our business is to help develop those heart-based connections for youth so that they can be citizens who are aware and engaged. And I don't think it's a lack of interest from youth or BIPOC communities, but just a lack of awareness and opportunity to connect and see how we are impacted as well. So why start your own organization? I mean, um, I'm very familiar with some research because of my work, and I'm familiar with Outward Bound. I am a Knowles graduate who became an instructor for my organization, right? I love Knowles. And so these programs have great value, and you and I have both experienced. They're, they're slightly different in, in their philosophy, but still you know, we've experienced them. So why not just support those organizations? Why start Sea Potential? I feel like, yes, there is a lot of great organizations, but with Sea Potential, we wanted to kind of take a different approach that definitely really centers BIPOC perspective and youth and is actually taking the time to acknowledge the individual and generational trauma that Mm. youth could be carrying with them, causing them to harbor subconscious or even conscious negative biases to marine environments, but also not just letting it end there and talking about the trauma, but also bringing in the cultural resiliency and showing youth like how we have belonged in these spaces in the past and how we still belong now and just creating opportunities for positive experiences that, like I was mentioning earlier, help encourage the heart and really connect a person to a space and a cause. That's powerful. And the reason it feels powerful to me is, ironically, there have been more conversations and then I've been part of kind of the segregated consciousness of talking about the trauma as Black folk we've experienced historically and currently in certain wild places because of people, not bears, right? Mm -hmm. But there is this other generational memory. You're the first person that I've heard acknowledge it, even though it's embedded in many a poem and many a story and many a conversation about the, the transatlantic slave trade. Is that what you're talking about? Well, I think there's a lot of different events for different BIPOC communities that have impacted us over time. But interestingly enough, I was actually just uh, listening to, I guess it would be called a podcast, um, from Oshun Swim School. They've been doing these Wednesday water weavers events. But they had a man named, I think his name was Kevin Dawson, come and talk. And he actually talked about how the transatlantic slave trade didn't actually impact us as negatively as I think we instantly assume. And also he he talked about how Africans were great divers at the time and incredible swimmers. And so when ships would wreck, they would actually be the ones to go out and um, salvage what needed to be salvaged or save people. And they were often, they were even getting paid to do this and bartering for their skills of doing that. And in ways we're buying their freedom, buying the freedom of their family members and loved ones from doing this kind of work. And so Swimming and being in the water was actually a way that enslaved people were taking power back for themselves during the time. And that was something that was just so amazing for me to learn. And he was saying how, like, even surfing the first 
record of that being written was in 1640 in Ghana. And, you know, I think there's all these stereotypes about black people not knowing how to swim or not just not being connected to water. And when you really trace back our roots, we were incredible swimmers and divers and were forced to kind of lose that connection over time. But yeah, initially it was a a way of taking back power even. Excellent. I believe you called the the organization Oceans. Oshun Swim School. Swim School. Mm -hmm. I, I know the woman, if it's the same thing that started it. Yeah, Chandrika Francis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, uh, and and Chandrika also has a uh, a land based wilderness experience um, because that's how we met. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, the forest and the ocean are not separate, in, uh, except in our consciousness, right? Right. It's so true. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of like even salmon, you know, traveling from ocean and through streams in the forest and their bodies being dropped by eagles on the forest floor and bringing nutrients back there, even. It's it's all so connected. Right. <laughs> it's delightfully connected to me. That's that's kind of when I learned what you're saying about the salmon, their DNA being found in the trees. It's like, of course, but also you miss that, right, unless you're, you zoom in on that. And what you just said, too, it makes so much sense to understand the connection and all the coastal places, of course, when you hear it, it's like, oh, of course. Having been to Ghana myself, I cried when I saw the Atlantic there. I grew up in the East Coast, in Philly, so that even the Atlantic looked different in Ghana than it did in New Jersey. And I don't know why. Um, I imagine it's the salts in the water there. But One of the things that is so clear when you're saying that is many stories that are lost, right, that we don't know, including the stories of how come we aren't collectively more folks swimming because segregation in in North America, in this country, made access to the pool not possible. It's not that we have some inherent dislike for water except you know we don't really like our hair to get messed up sometimes (laughs) but that's that's even you know kind of a product of white supremacy in a lot of ways too wanting to keep our hair straight talk about it there you go Mm -hmm. (laughs) right wanting to keep our hair straight or also different times that it takes to do our hair what our hair care is Mm -hmm. i could have a different conversation and a different time i would like to about that what it takes to take care of ourselves coming in and out of water is different based on our hair or our skin um, for each part, for each group of people. That's, it's a different thing. So I learned that at camp with my sister and how long it took her to comb her hair versus the people we went to camp with who were all white. They had like 10 minutes between, you know, swim class and lunch. And my sister was always getting in trouble for being late, but she had to comb her hair and it didn't take 10 minutes. Right. So um, I would love to hear your poem at this point. Yeah. Because I think that will really help with your vision. And I need to say, you might find that this also is part of your calling because your your work is quite stunning, especially for a person yeah. to say they are new to writing. Thank you. Yeah, Thank so you. look forward to hearing. Okay. 
to navigate these waters, how big we must be, stuck between seen and unseen. Breath of all kinds mingle. The orca blew life into my flame and it grew. When I catch my breath again, I'll control the fire within. Breath of all kinds mingle. But still, you tell me I'm not her. When I catch my breath again, I'll control this fire within. You can't douse me in the sea of my own emotion. But still, you tell me I'm not her. To navigate these waters, how big we must be. You can't douse me in the sea of our emotion, surrounded by all lands that touch all ancestors. To navigate these waters, how big we must be. Tell us we are winning, chasing this moment of togetherness, surrounded by all lands that touch all ancestors. Ancestors cheer for us, and we keep swimming. Tell us we are winning, chasing this moment of togetherness, beatings to our heart, but at least we know we're alive. Ancestors cheer for us, and we keep swimming. Seen or unseen, woman or whale, we hear each other. Beatings to our heart, but at least we know we're alive. You want us dead, so our bones don't rattle our skin. Seen or unseen, woman or whale, we know you hear us. We're surfacing with a thunderous blow, disturbing your stillness, disrupting your silence. To navigate these waters, how big we must be. The orca blows life into our flame so it'll grow, surrounded by all land that touches all ancestors. Stuck between seen and unseen. Mm. Powerful. Thank you. Thank you. What's the one thing you would want listeners to know about the connection that you feel or have made between your life as a woman and the orcas that you mentioned? For me personally, I think... I think there's a lot of connections, but one that comes kind of more to the surface for me is thinking about whales being used for entertainment and how it being kind of justified that, you know, this is how we get people to care and save them, actually. And I think part of my poem when I was talking about Tell Us We're Winning, Chasing This Moment, um, Surrounded by All Lands to Touch All Ancestors, Ancestors Cheer for Us and We Keep Swimming, I was thinking back to my experience running track and field, which has been a majority of my life really was racing. And and so in that moment, I was imagining, you know, this land surrounding us as a stadium and we're like in this race, you know, trying to keep up, trying to, to win something. And when we feel like giving up, we hear that ancestor's voice in the crowd and it helps encourage us to keep going. But yeah, for me, 
I knew early on that if I wanted to go to college, which, you know, I was viewing as the way to be successful in life and, you know, live a happy life, I needed to go to college. And my parents told me early on, <laughs> we're not going to pay for that. So you should figure out how to have scholarships. Um, and so I did get really invested in my grades, but also in sports. And so I ran myself through a lot of different physical problems and injuries and mental instability as well, you know, in the hopes that somebody would see me and be like, oh, great, great performance. We're going to give you money to go to school, you know, and running was something I loved. But yeah, it was taking a toll on my, my body and my mental health. And yeah, I, I don't know if it's something that I would have done as long if it wasn't for me trying to get money to go to school and pursue that education. So I just think of that that tie of exerting yourself and, you know, being observed for entertainment purposes in order to be given the validation that you matter, you know. Mm-hmm. And monetized. Yeah. Wow. Well, I would like to... Thank you for sharing that and to thank you for being a part of this conversation and leave people with that note to meditate on. Thank you for your poems and I'm glad you're part of this work. Thank you, Savannah. Yeah, thank you, Jordan, for making this call and bringing poetry out of me. (laughs) This has been a very just healing and beautiful space. The Women and Wales Poetry in a Climate of Change podcast was made possible through the support of the City of Seattle Office of Arts and Culture, Jack Straw Cultural Center, and Urban Wilderness Project. I'd like to thank Gretchen Yanover for our theme music, and thank you listeners for joining us. Learn more about the Women and Wales Poetry in a Climate of Change project at urbanwildernessproject.org.